Another summer day dawns at the Abbey, and Bremen goes down to the infirmary to check on Hollyberry and the two troublemakers. Hollyberry spins a tale about how he'd worked them hard all night, and they'd cried themselves to sleep. And the pair are indeed sound asleep, or look so. Bremen asks if Hollyberry thinks they've had enough. With a snort, Hollyberry asks him what does he think. Bremen agrees that yes, they've done all they've done they've done enough punishment detail. When they wake up, they're free to go, and he feels quite bad about all this. He's like, you shouldn't! The little idiots nearly killed people! Twice! <laughs> ah! <laughs> He deeply hopes they've learned their lesson. They won't have. They didn't learn anything. All they got was praise and well, well, not praise, but rewards for their activity. He didn't. He didn't mean it. He's just a laddie. There's no consequences. Nobody actually died. Once he leaves, feeling guilty, the pair revealed that they were not asleep at all, and Hollyberry scolds them for listening to elders' lies. Sir, it's your own damn fault. They have you did a, this to yourself. They have a good giggle, saying he hadn't exactly lied. He had given them tasks, dreadfully hard ones like eating candied chestnuts and playing with acorns and pebbles. And they all dissolve in laughter. And I'm just like, this is going to come around to, like, really bite them in the ass. Like, yes, doing chores when you're young is tedious, but it's not, a, this is not a harsh punishment. It's not. They're getting fed. They've still got comfortable beds to sleep in. They're, they're cleaning. It is physical you know, labor, but otherwise. I, I will say this. They're not being bratty like Madame Mayo was at the beginning no. of Madame Mayo. So, you know, they, they're, they're, they know that there are consequences to their actions to a degree. Yeah. Whereas Madame Mayo, like nobody felt like they could punish him. I don't know. They got on his ass pretty hard. Yeah, but there was, like, a certain point where it was, like, we have to let his father punish him, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, because his father is, like, this big fucking name, Matthias, you know? But these yeah. two, it's like, okay, they, they got punished. They they know, like, they went to the infirmary fully expecting to get punished like this. They weren't expecting uh, yeah. Holly Berry to be like, eh, and, and they I don't did... actually feel like doing this, so you guys are just gonna vibe here, it's fine. They did also you know you did a wrong thing. Too, so. Yeah. And also like Bremen specifically was like, You're not touching a bow and arrow. Yeah. If I see you near another bow and arrow, it's I will have your hide, basically. Yeah. It's gonna so, be like, a... there are still some consequences to their actions. Yeah. But uh this is also like we see this this softness, so we know these two are the two, like, uh, uh, kids that we're going to focus on from uh -huh. the Abbey. Shit's going to go bad for them. Yeah, so they're getting They're this... going to leave and yeah. something's going to happen. They're getting this kindness now so they'll be able to survive the harshness later. Yeah. Speaking of, not really, uh, outside, Abbas Vale is being pestered by a Dibbon mouse named Dumble. Why did your parents hate you? She tries to shoo him off, having not even had a chance to eat breakfast yet. And it's like, I feel you, girl. Hangry and dealing with a spoiled little brat who needs a solid time out. He demands to know when name day is and even threatens to turn purple and cry. And I'm just like, internally, I'm going, ooh, this child would be in so much trouble if he was in my presence. <laughs> Mr. Would he though? Kit yes. Would he? Yes. Kit. You know. Kit. You know what we do with Bristol when she starts whining like this? 
We tell her, go to her room until she's done. We tell her, you are not being, a, you are not being pleasant company right now. You need to get away until you want to be good company again. We put her in her room. And you know what she does? She has a cry or she stays and plays by herself for a little while. Then she comes back out when she's feeling more cooperative. This little turd, I'm just like, oh, I want to punt you. <laughs> Don't punt the baby. I will punt the baby. Also, that's not a dibbin. Dump, not a dibbin mouse. Dumble's a vole. I'm sorry. That's even no wonder he's such a Also one. another orphan vole? Why do we keep getting vole orphans? I don't know, because voles are scary creatures if you actually think about them for too long. Um, voles, it's like shrews. Yeah. Shrews, which can squish themselves. Like, their bones literally shrink. Not just that, but they have to eat their body weight in food every night. Because their metabolisms are just that fast. They're terrifying. God. Mr. Tud Spiny. Why did your parents hate you? Um, (laughs) I know, Tud is just a playoff of Todd, probably. But uh, he arrives. He is the gatehouse keeper, and he arrives on the scene. He isn't there to rescue her, though. He joins into threat to turn purple and cry if she doesn't name when name day will be. Also, he has a cane, right? An oak, let's see. It's an oak, an ash stick. The hedgehog threw his ash stick in the air and caught it. Dumble, you little puddin'. What a good idea. Come on, marm. Pick a name day or I'll join him. You ain't heard me cry. I'm a champion whaler and I can turn purple, too. Shame to you, Mr. S- Shame on you, Mr. Spinny. I can't even think of a proper name Spiny. for the season yet. Spiny. <laughs> she is understandably vexed with him for encouraging Dumble's behavior. Like, sir, this is not endearing. Sir, you are an adult. Help her. Never. She's rescued by Mrs. Faith Spiny, who comes to complain about Samkin. Meanwhile, Thrug and his sister, Thruggin, why did your parents hate you? Arrive with a net full of shrimp. I need everybody to know. <laughs> Thrug. I need everybody to know in our notes. It I... is, why did your parents hate you? I feel you, girl, hangry and dealing with little spoiled brat who needs a solid time out. Why did your parents hate you? Why did your parents hate you? <laughs> Names in this book, Brian, why? They, come... <laughs> they arrive with a net full of shrimp. They come on to how there's more shrimp this season than there has been in years. The old trout is too fat and lazy to eat them anymore. Implying that there's only one trout in the pond right now. Yeah, well, he's like top dog, so that might be why. I'm sure there's others, but like he's the trout, like the big trout. He's the one who like vibes at the edges of the pond. Like people will throw bread at me if I just sit here. Uh Uh-huh. And the other ones are all like small fry, just vibing elsewhere. Mm -hmm. When they check the pond, sure enough, he's flopping and lazily resting near the surface. Clearly, they don't have ospreys around here. When they scold him, he jumps just enough to splash them all. Inspiration strikes, and the name for the season is chosen. The Summer of the Lazy Trout. Abbas Vale isn't super enthused, but with the confirmation that Faith can handle the short notice for name day, she decides to go for it. It's like, please, Brian, give She's her like, a Traditionally, spine. they're named after, like, plants or something, but I guess that'll do. I guess. And it's just like, Brian, let her be a, let her be a leader, not just no, a... No. Trauma has to happen first. Yeah. They raise a cheer, Dumble takes a dive, and the day moves on. Yeah, Dumble accidentally, like, slips into the pond, and they have to go fucking rescue him, because <laughs> yeah. he's just, like, a dibbin. 
By breakfast, the whole abbey knows that name day is tomorrow. The Dibbons sing a little rhyme and a march. Yes. By breakfast. The Dibbons sing a little rhyme and march about, filled with excitement over the party. Do you want to read the rhyme? I do not. I, I don't have my book in front of me. Okay. Food to eat and games to play. Tell me why, tell me why. Serve it out and eat it up. Have a try, have a try. Name day, name day. Fun and game day. Come, brother, sister. Join our play. This season has a name. Kind of a Dr. Seussian almost rhyme scheme. A little bit. To be fair, Dr. Seuss had been right. When did Dr. Seuss die? Uh, I mean... I know he was around for World War II, so... Dr. Seuss. He was... Uh, he died in 1991. Oh shit, so... he died the year I was born. Yeah, he died bef- just before this book was written, which means all throughout the entire time that, like, Redwall had been published, Dr. Seuss had existed. Yeah, so... Like, that, Dr. Seuss yeah. books had existed. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. The bells ring out, and the older members of the Abbey come out to watch the young ones play. Like, this is a very sweet moment. Like, I I like it when Brian slips in little moments of, like, camaraderie, of, like, this is a community. It reminds me of, like, craft fairs and little events in, like, small towns like this, like the one I live in. Um, I mean, I guess the Abbey could count as a small town. Yeah, a little bit. It is kind yeah. of a small town. It is a small, insular community. Mm-hmm. Outside the walls, the two runaways from Farago's band listen into the celebration. Dinjai and Thura. They're tired and hungry, barely scraping a living. The pair are less than intelligent. A regular slapstick comedy pair. They muse back and forth over the ruckus, over what the place is, until Dinjai reveals he knows what it is. An abbey. Heard it off a fox once. They try to sneak in behind a line of moles, but are caught by Thrug, and I'm sorry, but like when he's talking about the line of moles, my brain just went to the Monty Python bit of the monks slapping themselves with the board. I don't know why, but that's all I could envision. Um, let's see. Until, let's see. The pair dropped to all, let's see. Let me, sorry. <laughs> they try to sneak in behind a line of moles, but are caught by Thrug. The pair drop to all fours and cling and beg Thrug to Thrug to be fed and given some sympathy. Thrug's having none of it and tells Samkin to fetch the abbess. Like, the way he writes these two, I hate it. I don't like it. Like, I know they're meant to be comedic. I know they're meant to be like, oh, they're just silly, goofy vermin. But, like, like the way they write, the way they keep saying mucker, like, uh, like, here. Ben, ben is definitely going to have, like, some etymology on that word for us after this comes yeah, out. Yeah, like, I'm sure, like, I'm sure there's a reason behind it. Like, it's the, it makes me think of, like, you know, like, the two sneak thief kind of characters. The, the, not Laurel and Hardy, but, like, the two goofy thief idiots who end up being, you know, beaten by the hero. It's like a, like, these would be the pair that Bugs Bunny runs around. I um, found it. Okay. So, mucker is slang for a vulgar, ill-bred person. Uh-huh. Let's or see. informal, a person who often does or says the wrong thing, a bungler. Uh-huh. Um, um, I'd say yeah. it sounds like the same to me as it do to you. Some beast ringing billio out of a bell, a load of young'uns setting up a racket. All sounds very nice, though. 
Here, what do you reckon this place is, mucker? It's a nabby. A nabby? What's a nabby? Dinjai shoved Thura sideways, and he rolled into the slime. An abbey, weed brain. Abbey. They must be the one called Redfall or Summit. I heard it off. I heard it off. Hey, I heard off it one time off a fox. <laughs> that was easy for me. By the time Abbas Vales gets there, the Stoltz eight are well into a hissy fit. She threatens that if they want to stay, they must behave. Hearing this, they sit up and proceed to kiss her butt. Thrug and Formal are not keen on this, but Bremen is too wishy-washy due to guilt over punishing Samkim and doesn't put his foot down. See, there it is, already biting him in the ass. Thrug breaks down a little too, seeing the poor pathetic act as the two... Sorry, bleh. Thrug breaks down a little too, seeing the poor pathetic act the two stoats put on. She says they can stay, but they must abide by the rules. And the thing that makes me sad about this is that I know Brian is going to set this up for the Stoats to either betray them or bring some kind of misery on. He never gives the vermin a chance. They never really get to enjoy kindness because they will be punished afterward for, like, daring to enter the Abbey. Yet again, this feels antithetical. Mm -hmm. Also, everything to do with these two Stoats is extremely classist and racist. Mm -hmm. It's not good. Again, it feels antithetical to what we know about Brian. Now, again, Brian being who he is does not stop him from potentially having been classist and racist. We can't physically speak to the man. He's dead. But yeah. <laughs> it feels antithetical to the lessons being taught in these books. Yeah. That, like kindness and friendship and all that bullshit will win out over, you know, the forces of badness. And it's like, you would think that that would mean that the what people who could be bad could be changed. Mm -hmm. Right? Hell, even Kingdom Hearts does a better job at that. <laughs> <laughs> Submit to the darkness. No. Submit to the darkness. No. Submit to the darkness. No. Pretty please. No. Um, and see. this is just like we're bad because we have no other choice and it's like you were literally being given a choice uh -huh. you have been given the choice right here you have been and shown. Brian's just like but consider what if they were still bad uh -huh. sir Sam Kim get and a Ouija are... board <laughs> we just, that, that, hey if you guys want to like Support us enough so we can buy a Ouija board. <laughs> I'm not. I am not bringing a Ouija board into my fucking house, kid. Sam Kim and Arula are tasked with keeping an eye on the pair. The abbess wishes they had a badger mum again and hurries off to continue prepping for the name day party. The again, two, being like yeah. Mara will become the badger mum. Yeah. The two ask for food and sleeping quarters right off, but Sam Kim and Arula say nope. Baths first and clean smocks. No, that's not how it goes. First, they're, they're like, you're probably going to have to help us do stuff because it's going to be a while before we get fed. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, what? And it's like, oh, well, we're doing work in the kitchens, but uh, you guys should probably get a <laughs> bath first, actually, because these two stoats, they're smelling ripe. Yeah, it takes a trip to the pond and the help of Thrug and Formal, but they get a bath wailing and complaining the whole time. And you're This right. bit of slapstick is the only piece of comedy so far but with these two stoats in it that was actually funny. <laughs> Mercy, your honor, that stuff's water. It's all wet. 
They, they, like, one of them is like, I'll get fluenza if I take a bath. I know, it's just like, oh. So it's like playing into that, like, uh, it's like something about, like, in medieval times, like, people, like, there was, like, some people who thought, like, baths weren't actually good for you, but it was not necessarily the baths, but the the quality of the water. Yeah. There was no guarantee it was safe. Which, like, wasn't exactly wrong, you know? No, and yeah, especially for these vermin, when the way that they travel and what they do, there mm-hmm. is no guarantee that taking a bath is going to be safe for them because, like, the rivers and streams and the ocean is full of things that want to eat them, or there's parasites, or, you know, there's, like, some right. plant life in there that could hurt them. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. So it's or, a lot easier to just, like, you know, oh, I took a rain, I, that means I took a bath. You know, there was rain. Or in their case, God knows, a fish that will eat them. I don't think the trout's gonna eat them. They're too stinky. No, but, you know, remember the pikes from the last book. (laughs) This is a trout! (laughs) We meet Fire Bellows, the current stout and fat cook in the kitchen. And I like that Brian subscribes to the never trust a skinny cook principle. Listen, the only time you can trust a skinny cook is if they are remarkably tall, because that means that they can put away more food than their body... Like, they put away so much food, like, the same amount of food that, like, a stout of fat, like, uh, a cook would, but their body just burns it. I'm just thinking of my poor friend in high school who, this girl was just about my height and probably weighed half of my weight. And we, so I like saw that six girl. six feet tall. I'm, I'm 5'10". Don't exaggerate that much. Six feet um, tall. <laughs> but to this... me, you're six feet tall. <laughs> my 5'5 five, five ass. <laughs> but this... Poor girl. I saw her put away an entire large pizza once by herself. What the fuck? We later learned that she had several genetic uh, autoimmune disorders, which Ah. was why she could never put on any weight. And she's one of those people who... Yeah, and she's one of those people who suffers from invisible disabilities, which is why I never give skinny people a hard time for being skinny because God knows their situation. Yeah, Um, exactly. Like, here's the thing. Doesn't matter how much somebody weighs and whether or not you think they look healthy or not. Just don't. Exactly. Just fucking don't. You don't know what their situation is. You don't know what their health is. Mm-hmm. You don't know. And even if they are unhealthy, you don't have any fucking right to say shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fuck off. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Fire Bellows is very happy to have Samkin and Arula in the kitchen with him. And just as happy to teach them to make a Gertal cake, according to Arula. Arula. Gertal cake. He sets them to mixing ingredients while also keeping track of the rest of the kitchen with sharp eyes. Like, I like Friar Bellows. Same. Um, it's just I just I keep that, imagining like, the one friar who had the, like, dandelion in his I tail. know. But also, like, the fact that his name is close to Bella, so my brain is, like, starting to rev up for Owl House again. I'm just like, uh, oh no. I am... I need I, to... I need to watch more Owl House. I'm oh, still in do. like the very beginnings of season one. You will love it. I promise you, you will love it. This is a, this is a, a, I a know. recommendation I for me. I already like it. I'm yeah. just watching TV shows hard. It's okay. I get it. It's hard for me too. Like I still have the last season of Camp Cretaceous to watch, and Spy X Family, and Bee and Puppy Cat. Um. Anyway. They so, may be skinnier, and I'm not happy about that. Yeah. We also learn it's a great hall cake, not a Gertal cake, as Arula called it. It goes into the oven, and Fire Bellows carries on with his instructions on what to do after it's been baked. 
We got. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. I'm fucking. I'm so excited about these fucking ingredients. I'm not gonna list all of them because most of them are like embellishments and other shit. But we 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 know what the flower is. It's pollen flower, which is a thing. That's a thing. You can put pollen in things and eat it. Huh. I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say like at our scale you could use pollen as flower, but at their scale, this is more putting to hey. These creatures are much smaller than humans because they can use pollen as flour. It means that they right. had to take the pollen particles and mill it in some yeah. way to make it fine enough to be flour. Because, like, pollen at our scale is already very fine and could ostensibly be used like flour, but gathering enough for that is a pain in the ass. But, like, <laughs> for, for these guys... They use pollen as flour. They dust the pan with pollen flour. They use the <laughs> pollen flour in the cake. We get another mention of green sap milk, which we got mm-hmm. mentioned in another book. Mm-hmm. This is what world building feels like. <laughs> ah! And buttercup cream. Anyway. Oh, yeah, buttercup cream. Instead of D- buttercream, it's buttercup cream. Which also, hey, don't eat buttercups. Don't. They're they're fucking they're poisonous. They're toxic. Don't eat those. During a light lunch, Sam Kim, Arula, and Dumble are entertained by the two stoats complaining about being washed. And then, to add insult to injury, they've been put to scrubbing pots and pans. Throughout they're comes- very hilarious. Like they're complaining the entire time. Yeah. They're just like, I've, I we're being punished. We're just too poor stoats how could they do this to us and like we the just, thing is, is we're that so, we've we for all they grumbled and bitched they did the work they did, they do, did the work. do the work yeah they were just like oh it's the worst we're being worked to the bone have mercy pity us pity and yet thrug comes to yoink the two back to washing duty but they're rescued by samkin and arula who beg to let them rest the arrival of the sister Nasturtium. Oh. Nasturtium. Nasturtium. Uh, Brian, why these names? I know it's, it's a, a flower. flower. I know. And she's, she's a mouse. But the arrival of the kind sister Nasturtium seals it, and she's brought it into the group to show off her wonderful singing voice. Can I just call her little Nas so I don't keep stumbling? No! No! You can't do that! Okay... Because then I'll have to fucking take a piece of Montero and put it in the fucking podcast. <laughs> and I don't coward. want... Wait, Do no. Who is Lil Nas's label? Hold on. Oh, yeah. They'll come get us. Probably. I don't know if WB would do that. Uh, it's Columbia Records. So Okay. She sings a lovely little ditty about Martin. And again, do you want to read it? You said you didn't have your book near you. I don't have my book. Okay. I'm making you read everything because I'm head empty. That's okay. In days of old, a warrior bold, all paw sore, tired, and lame, came marching through the winter's cold, and Martin was his name. Martin, Martin, the warrior of Redwall, with courage in his trusty sword, he came to save us all. Now in those high and far-off days, the country was oppressed by vermin cruel whose tyrant ways would lead, let no creatures rest. But truth and bravery won the day, for throughout a far wide, good honest creatures made their way to stand by Martin's side. And they cried, Martin, Martin, the warrior of Redwall, with courage and trusty sword, he came to save us all. The evil ones he put to flight, and justice he restored. His heart was strong, his cause was right, and mighty was his sword. He helped to build our abbey here, the land rings with his fame. Now peace lives here, we know no fear, for Martin was his name. 
Martin, Martin, the warrior of Redwall, with courage in his trusty sword, he came to save us all. Even the stoats cheer at the end of the song, then muse about the fact they're cheering. They share a few quips back and forth about how surely Martin didn't have to work. Thrug clips their ears, warning them to show a little respect. But, but, but Nasturtum comes to their rescue. Of course the stoats have no idea who Martin is. And it's like, yeah, sure, it's okay to physically punish them for nothing more than ignorance. Yeah. She, she explains how Martin isn't just the warrior, he's the spirit figuratively and literally, of Redwall. <laughs> Thura asks if she's ever seen him, and she seems to go into a trance, reciting a poem none have heard before. I am but an orchard shadow in the sunny tide of noon, the dust of olden seasons on stone. My paw is light and silent as a waning autumn moon. I walk the halls of memory alone. You may hear me as a whisper that the wind has left behind, or see me as the pale calm light of dawn. Feel me take the toll of care from off your sleeping mind in times of deep despair and hope forlorn. Then I will be beside you in the corridors of dream, a warrior's strength I'll give you, my friend, like the waters of a storm that swells a tiny mountain stream. A mightiness your loved ones to defend, injustice and evil will flee from your law, as all about you will say, there walks one touched by the warrior's paw, so wait, I will find you one day. The eerie it's silence. Good yeah. shit. The eerie silence after the poem is broken by Dumble, saying he has no worries at all. She confesses that she has never heard the poem before, as if someone else was speaking through her. And when Brother Hal, the recorder, asks if she could recite it again, she says, No, it's clean gone out of her mind. Friar Bellows comes puffing up, calling them back to their tasks. The two stoats struggle a little and get another swap from Thrug when he hears them joking about Martin. And it's like, hi, why are you surprised when they get tired of your nonsense? <laughs> like, sir, please stop it. Please stop smacking people. Like, that's not going to teach him anything. Brian? Brian? I do like that our, our fucking riddle quest is being given to us in these bits and pieces that mm -hmm. nobody can, like... She can't remember them, and nobody writes them down. Mm -hmm. So it's up to us, the readers, to remember them. Mm -hmm. That morning in Salamandastron is a gloomy, awkward one. Breakfast is silent and tense, and the four youngsters gossip among themselves, giving Mara sympathy. Klitsch goes to work, trying to subvert her, saying if Earthstripe isn't her father, why should she let him boss her? Said Earthstripe is gloomy, his heart heavy at Mara not saying good morning to him, and he detests seeing her speaking to the weasel as if she and he were old friends. I have to point this out because this unfortunately has those fucking vibes. Mm -hmm. Which is like these things that you'll see like in very old American TV. And usually nowadays mm -hmm. if it's put in anything it's to be like, hey, this is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It is the white dad with his white daughter. And his white daughter has made friends with insert any person of color here. Mm-hmm. And that's He's, what it feels like, and it just feels bad. Yeah. Like, I'm reminded I, of that bit from Static Shock, honestly. Oh, God, that was a good episode, too. That like, was a good episode where yeah. fucking... Uh, Archie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Archie's dad was being really, really weird about Virgil. And Virgil, like, they end up, like... Uh, uh, For, 
Virgil's dad and uh, uh, Archie's dad end up like in a situation and Virgil's dad just fucking lays into mm-hmm. the other well, man. That's after Virgil overhears Archie's dad saying, I can't believe you brought like one of them into our house or something like that. Like something really bad. Yeah. And Archie's like, dad, what the fuck? <laughs> and God. like, he gets mad at his dad. Like, yeah. He gets pissed off because like, Virgil y'all, leaves. Y'all watch Static Shock, one of the best shows from my childhood god yeah, i love that honestly. show um they it, do it, so much and there's mm-hmm. a lot especially with uh rubber band man yeah um because like Cause he's, he's he's dyslexic he's, a, he's dyslexic he he's a school dropout he yeah. like there's whole things in it about him learning to read like he he's also like a famous rapper or a singer or something like that and he keeps his identity separate and, like, there's a whole episode where Virgil meets him and he's got, like, these piles of fan letters. And Virgil's like, oh, don't have time for fan letters? He's like, no, I, I can't read them. Like, literally, like, he's... Rubber set- Batman goes yeah. from being a villain of the series to, like, anti-hero to yeah. hero. And it's such a good character arc it is. that is not given enough attention. It's not. Anyway, though, back to vermins who don't get a redemption arc. <laughs> uh. He's also bothered by the weasel's bright blue eyes. He keeps tickling at a memory hidden in the back of his mind. Oxi muses that the weasel could charm a bird from the sky, and woe be the bird. Earthstripe recalls a sea rat who could sing like a lark and sung ballads while killing his victims. Vermin are vermin, no matter how charming. It's like, ooh, this is really- Killing and biting! This is really going to color, like, reading Outcast and Tagarung. Because, like, I like Tagarung a lot. But just, mm, like, I get it. Brian, this book is for kids. Brian is caught pulling from old mythology where, like, things are black and white. But I deeply Again, dislike it. Like, I'm going to keep bringing it up. This feels antithetical to everything that we are being taught in these books. Mm-hmm. It feels bad that we don't get vermin who are good that we don't get like we have this whole like these entire races mm-hmm. of creatures that are just all labeled as a vermin like they're okay. all bad to bring up another fairly popular book series and author the the heralds of valdemar series you've got like the entire nation of Kars, which for like a good chunk of the first few books is like they're the enemy nation they hate valdemar they just constantly try to fight them. But, like, as the series goes on, we start to meet more Karsites who are like, yeah, like, not all of us are evil. Like, the ones who are actually causing most of the trouble are the people running our country. Like, we don't want this half the time. And we start to see more of how, like, you know, just because you're from a place, just because you are a people from a certain place doesn't mean you have to fit the stereotypes that others try to force upon you. Like, yeah. oh, all Karsites hate you know, people who aren't part of their religion and like the ones who are outside of cars are like, no, we just don't care. We just, it's like, we have one God. If you've got a different God, just keep him away from Mars and we're fine. It's, it's okay. Just don't get there's, mad at us for ours. We won't get mad at you for yours. Just leave us alone. You know? There's this fiction um, podcast that I listen to called uh, the Pasithea powder. And one of the like, uh, spoilers for the Pasithea powder. Uh, one of the big plot points in it is that there is this alien race that they've, all the humans have been like fighting against these are humans on different planets who used to be at war and Mm. they stopped fighting because of this other threat who are just called the Mm -hmm. other because they can't communicate with them they can't even see them these creatures uh uh using like some genetic thing that's just the way that their their race their species is uh is they they basically like mind read and 
physically present themselves as something you expect to see. Oh. Uh, so usually it's like a family member or something. It helps them get close to you. And the the others that are in the series that we see throughout like the first part of the series are renegades. Oh. They're killing and murdering people because they want to. But like we learn that like the vast majority of the other don't want to do that. And they're like, these guys are just weird radicals and we don't know what the fuck they're on. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it's like this whole thing where everybody has to come to terms with the fact that, like, yeah, these guys don't actually want to kill us, but it's like one person having to try to explain that to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, I wish that Brian had put more thought into this. Yeah, the way but... that like other series that we uh, like enjoy. He, put thought into. He was also cranking books out at an astonishing rate, too. Yeah, he was. So, I'll give him a little leeway there. He, he, he tells Sapwood to escort the two out of the mountain with a pack of rations. Mara protests when Sapwood comes to collect Klitsch and Gotha, claiming they were friends. He comforts her that they'll get a sack of rations, no need to fuss. It's the last straw for Mara. She sees Earthstripe as a tyrant and says as much to him. He demands she go to her room, but she refuses, charging after her new friends. Winpa goes to stop her, but Earthstripe says let her go. Pickle hastily follows after her as well. And again, like, this was the moment where I'm just like, oh, she's Ariel. Okay. (laughs) But father, I love him. But father, I love him. Except maybe don't, unfortunately. Yeah. Sapwood and Oxai ask Earthstripe if he'd like them to retrieve her, and he says no. He won't force her to stay. And it's like, oh, sorry, and she has to make her own way. I'm just like, all right, here's where I come in with the Christian knowledge. We're setting up a prodigal son here. Behold my son, for he has returned to me. And like, yes, even if she ends up at Redwall, she's still going to end up seeing Earthstripe. Like, something's going to happen where Earthstripe is going to be like, you know, like, I'm proud of you now. I'm proud, son. Um... So God, that's that's gonna be really dumb when that happens. But I'm like eighty percent sure that Earthstripe doesn't survive this book. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's usually like the Bachelor Lords either make it or they don't. Like they they've got a fifty fifty chance. Um, they say all right, but orders to no, know they're gonna go keep an eye on, a discreet eye on her for a while to make sure that she doesn't get in trouble. Earthstripe is deeply grateful to the pair, and. I like this. He really wants to be a good dad. Like, he loves his hairs. Like, he loves his, his his soldiers. And he wants to, like, to be good for Mara, too. But, like, the fact that he's so grateful to them and he's aware of how much they're helping him. I, I like the setup between the hairs and the badgers in this book. I really like the relationship in this book. So, they each take a light lance each and go out after her and pickle. Earthstripe spends the rest of the day in his forge. She's like, I'm so fucking angry. I'm going to beat up some metal. Yeah. (laughs) In the sand dunes, watching Mara and Pickle approach, Klitsch tells Goffa to stay quiet and let him do the talking. His plan is working perfectly so far. And this is where we learn that he doesn't have good intentions. Yep. We learn Klitsch's plan. He's going to give his father all the information he's gleaned about Salamandastron. And on top of the two sacks of food, a priceless hostage in Mara. And... 
here's where I get to go on my tagarung rant. It's this is again the nature over nurture. We in tagarung, we have an otter who is raised by vermin almost from birth. He has no memories of his birth parents, or if he has any memories, they are vague at the most. And you know what? He chooses kindness. He chooses to be good and noble. But also not just that, but he just says, well, I, I just can't live like this. I can't do what you do, father. Like he's too noble. He's too good to do these things. Um, and why doesn't Klitsch get this chance? Well, because Klitsch is a weasel. Obviously he has no better examples. Well, Tagarung didn't either. He had no good, he had no good examples. So why doesn't Klitsch get this chance? But it's because he's a weasel. So he doesn't get to have that chance. It's cause vermin. Mm -hmm. Vermin. Goffa calls him clever and Klitsch agrees, muttering quiet mutiny against his father. Brian, please give us familial loyalty with a vermin just once. Never. His father is aging and he's still clever and young. He'll show who's the stronger. Klitsch turns about as Mara comes around the dune, feigning in surprise, feigning surprise. She proudly tells him she's left the mountain for good, and he happily promises they'll be good companions to her and Pickle. She's practically vibrating with excitement over her daring and freedom, though it is revealed she didn't bring any food nor weapons, which Klitsch fakes worry over. Klitsch asks if she's got any badger treasure to barter with, and the odd question flummoxes her and Pickle. They've never seen any treasure their whole life. Smoothly insinuating that Earthstripe... Lost my spot. Smoothly insinuating that Earthstripe must be hiding the treasure away and pushes the thought that Earthstripe was bossy and didn't trust Mara due to her youth. He offers to share their food with her and Pickle for lunch. And as usual, the hare eats greedily. Like, Pickle isn't a character. He's not a character. We, ha we don't know anything about him. We don't know what, what does he like, what's his skills, what are his talents. Literally all we've known about him is that he eats food and is apparently wild. That's it. That's all we know. She mutters to Pickle that she doesn't feel so young anymore, and maybe Klitsch was right. Earthstripe might be hiding something. But if he is, she doesn't care. He can have it. Klitsch winks to Gotha and tosses more food Mara's way. They're friends, after all. <sighs> granted she's young naive and has not really ever had to deal with anything yeah. more than her father so we're definitely getting that very stereotypical almost kind of 80s story of the like girl <laughs> who falls in with like the bad crowd yeah vibe like she yeah. gets like the really like bad rebel without a cause boyfriend uh -huh. who turns out to actually be bad for her uh-huh like not it's the not the jerk so... with the heart of gold but just a jerk <laughs> yeah it's so stereotypical and bad i hate it that evening back at redwall abbas vale and faith both take a walk around the orchard faith leaves the eight house quietly warning that dumble was sleeping there tonight her husband tud tud and the dibbon had fair worn each other out playing right to the end that this description is really cute because like it describes them playing so much that Dumble is like asleep at the foot of the chair that Tud is zonked out in. Like they played so hard that they just passed out where they were. They just fucking zonked. It's very cute. Vale asks how the name day preparations are going and Faith reassures her. Tud had worked hard with Burly Mole to bring up many fine drinks. And not only that, Samkin and Arula had worked hard and loyally in the kitchens. 
I like these kids do have their redeem, redeeming points. They do definitely like throw their heart into whatever they're doing. Unlike yeah, they're Madame like Mayo, actually doing work. Yeah, fucking yeah. Abbas... sneak down to the cellars and just drink a bunch of weird cordial. Yeah, Abbas Vale. Sorry. Abbas Vale is happy to hear a good word about them, and happier to hear Faith has forgiven him for the arrow incident. Abbas Vale also worries about the stoats. Faith says they're two silly things, nothing to worry about at all. With a sigh, Abbas Vale hopes Faith is right, and it's like, let them learn. Let them become part of a community. Show them there's benefits to being good. And, like, it seems, especially, like, the younger ones are actually trying, but it the does. adults have such ingrained prejudice. yeah. That it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, they're from another time. They can't learn. And it's like, bitch, they better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. In the first floor dormitory, a group of critters gather around for a late night snack of Abbey bread. I want the recipe, Brian. Give, Said, it, give so us least, the recipe. Like, I actually finally made white bread that tasted good. Like, for it's so weird. I can make sourdough. I can make banana bread. I can make, like, white banana bread. But plain white bread, I could not do for so long. I tried so many recipes and it never quite came out right. I dig up this old recipe card that my mom had laying around, tried it, and it came out amazing. That's, <laughs> what so you, that's why you use the older recipes. They're yes. always better. Anyway. Said silly stoats are brought in to join them and amuse the others by singeing their tongues on hot cordial. And I think it's like spicy hot, not like hot hot. I'm not sure. Like, Why it's, wouldn't it's... it be heated? People that's used true. to heat fucking dr pepper oh that's true also apparently though like hot dr pepper tastes good it's weird <laughs> it's something about it bringing out like the weird cinnamon notes in it yeah i was gonna say maybe it like caramelizes it a little bit um they learn it's a storytelling session thura asks what's a storytelling and Dinchai tells him to hush he likes stories hollyberry asks who wants a story and the little Dibbins reply in kind that we want a story, please. This is definitely a ritual that they've done many times before. Know, it's so cute. It's very cute. The old infirmary keeper took a sip of his drink and started. Old travelers tell at the midnight bell when the night dark covers all. Mid the falling snow with the cold winds blow of the ghost that walks red wall. It's a ghost story. Little... Interruptions happen as Dibbins get spooked and comfort one another. Thura is spooked too, and Dinjai gives him a whack in an order to hush. Yes, the ghost that haunts the stairways goes slowly on his beat, moaning low in the moonlight's glow. Give me young ones to eat. And of course, let's see. The hero of the tale is, of course, young Martin. Then one young knight, as the lightning was flashing, and the thunder was crashing out, BOOMS! The beastly phantom came a-hunting into this very room. When up stood a young man, pale as the ghost, and to the spirit said, How dare you moan round here at night and wake me from my bed? The ghost sprang at him with a cry, Woohoo! I'll eat you whole! The pale mouse laughed as he replied, You'll need a great big bowl! For I am Martin the Warrior, the spirit of Redwall. Whilst I protect the Abbey, you'll eat no beast at all. Then Martin drew his trusty sword and chopped the ghost apart. He sliced his nose, he carved his ears, he whacked his legs and head. He chopped his claws, he hacked his jaws, then the ghost he then to the ghost he said, Be sure to brush up all your bits. Good night, I'm off to bed. 
<laughs> it's very good. It's, it's very a very cute. funny story. Like, what a fun way to introduce kids to Martin, like, building upon that legend more. It's so much fun. At the end of the tale, there's some laughter and relief until Throggan makes Dinjai leap clean out of his skin by throwing a, cat, a crust at him and saying it's a ghost tale. And it's like, all right, this is cute because... It's like, she's treating him like a fellow Redwaller. Like, I feel this is a prank she would play on, like, one of the Dibbons or, like, her brother. Yeah. You know? She absolutely. saw he was jittery and took her chance. It's very sweet. It's a gentle moment, like you said. It's good, and they deserve more of those. Thura gets his revenge for his earlier bop by eating the crust before Dinjai can see what it was and confirms it was indeed a ghost. Dinjai is thoroughly frightened and gloomy now. It isn't helped when Nestertum is once again possessed and reciting and recites a spooky poem. When night meets day, stand clear away. Beware the abbey then. Stay close beside the rampart wall. Await the moment when the flame of storm will strike my blade to aid the badger lord and bring back to Redwall one day a guardian and a sword. Thruggan comforts the mildly distressed sister, telling her she'd only recited some old poetry. Now it's time for them to all go to bed, or they'll be too groggy for name day tomorrow. Like, poor Nasturtum, she's like, did I do it again? Oh no, I can't remember what the fuck I just said! This poor girl's a seer in a world that isn't kind to seers. But she's not a fox, so it's fine. Right, yeah. Samkin dreams of Martin that night. Martin in the background like, okay, time to wake up and get to work. Squirrel, warrior, squirrel, warrior, squirrel, warrior! The warrior tosses the sword from the tapestry to Samkin, who picks it up and offers it back. I like that little detail. He's just like, oh, you dropped it. You know. Martin says it matters not if he's a squirrel or a mouse. Samkin is a Redwaller, and he will become a hero and return the sword to Redwall someday. But he must be wary of vermin and beware the white one. Okay, so well, I have a question. Wait, I have oh, a question. Yes. Didn't in Mariel of Redwall... Didn't they put the sword up on the roof? They did, yes. Um, they did. I think the implication is, is that the sword is going to be knocked down because, like, they mentioned, like, stay away, like, beware Redwall, and that, like, the, the, like, the fire of the storm is going to knock the blade free kind of a thing. Pretty much he's like, hey, watch out, the sword's gonna come down soon. Like, please don't get stabbed. <laughs> um, so, so they like, just the sword keep is putting it back? I think so, but I think what's going to happen is, like, the sword's going to come down, he's going to take the sword, take it to Earthstripe, and or help Earthstripe, and then bring the sword back. So, like, I think the sword's going to be, like, taken down and put back up a few times, because, like, we know the sword wasn't up there the whole time until... Okay, uh, but now I have another question. Why did it take so much for them to get it down? Like, to get up onto the roof? When it's like, okay, the otter from Mariel was able to just fucking get up that roof. Roof was able to just get up there and do is it. Is he? And he's is a he? fucking otter. Is he? Is what? Plot. No, wait, he was a squirrel. Plot. Plot reasons, is he? That's why. No, I'm fucking mad about it! <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of otters, Thrug doesn't... Also, Roof is a squirrel and I'm just goofy. You are. It's okay. We're almost done. Literally the last paragraph and a half. Thrug doesn't sleep easily and sneaks down to the kitchen in his white night's shirt to steal some hot root soup he knew was in a kettle. He eats two bowls and makes his way back upstairs, only to see Samkin staring, standing in front of the tapestry. 
he's dealt with sleepwalkers before, so he easily scoops up the young squirrel to take him back to bed. And like, I really like this little moment. Like, he's such a good big brother. Like, if he doesn't sleep well, of course he's met other sleepwalkers. He doesn't sleep, so he might as well protect the ones who don't realize they're sleepwalking. There's a cute little exchange. Samkin asks, was he the white one? To which Throg says yes. And Samkin goes, oh good, I had been, I've been seeking you. And curls up to sleep in his arms. Once Samkin is safe in bed, Throg sneaks back down to the kitchen for one more bowl of soup. It's good soup. Good soup. And that's it for our reading today. We've made it to chapter eight. Huzzah! Huzzah! <laughs> we did it! <laughs> two hours! All right. That's perfect. I can split it. We can split it in half and get two episodes out of this. Woo! We still have the fucking questions. <laughs> we still have the questions. Let's do it. Favorite weird what? Abby food? I want that Abby bread recipe. Give me the bread. Give me the bread. Like, yes. Give me the bread. Yes, the Abby cake sounds delicious, but we don't have half the stuff they have. So it's like when I read the Red Wall of Pern books and like they mention like the bubbly pies and like in one of the official like lore compendiums they actually do have a recipe for our world of like how to make a bubbly pie but they'll make like little notes of like like on pern they would use this but on earth you need to use this like it's such a sweet little like you know <laughs> we don't have what they have but here's something like what they have we need to get the redwall cookbook we do maybe i'll check thrift or thrift books and see if they have it yeah was there an animal that appeared that surprised you slash did an animal subvert expectations I mean, Farago and Klitsch, to an extent, with how how handsome they are, how they're described as being charming and handsome and pretty. I guess what surprises me and kind of subverts expectation is the fact that, like, the Abbey Dwellers brought two stoats in and yeah. things didn't immediately go wrong. Yeah. It's, it's partially because the two are, like, played up as more slapsticky than an actual threat. Because, you know, like, Chicken Hound was always sneaky and vile and trained by his mother. Um, yeah. You get, like... Usually when, like, like they're, when they're trying to get into Redwall, they're actively sneaking. Whereas yeah. these two were like, oh, they have food. Yeah. We should see if they'll share. Like, they're just hungry and tired. Like, give them a chance to actually, like, become, like, become good people. Yeah. Um, and... Favorite part so far, honestly, like any of the moments with Farago, like we've only had him like twice in these eight chapters, like, three times. And I like him. I like him a lot as a villain so far. He's really good as a villain so far and I'm enjoying him greatly. I can't wait to see more of him. I, I think that's another reason that I'm so frustrated with the book so far is that I know we're setting up the heroes so we have sympathy for them. But I keep wanting to read more of what Farago is doing. Like, I want to see more of the <laughs> villain. Because you like in interesting villains. Yeah, like that's another thing. Like, for all we complain about Brian, like always using the Romans, he's really good at setting up fun villains to read about. You like the villains, even if you don't want them to win. Yeah, uh, my favorite part was the bath because <laughs> it was just fucking funny. <laughs> like, it was just it was legitimately funny. Yeah. Um. And we technically have answered about Farago, but I think now it is cemented. Farago's a vampire. Yeah. Just going back to Kai the Mad's question from Discord. Farago and Klitsch uh, 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 are both vampires. Um, yeah, very much so. I mean, Klitsch even had to be invited into Salamandastron. Fucking outro. All right. Thank you for listening to Abby Archives. 
We are grateful you lent us your ears and we hope you enjoyed your time with us. This has been Kit. You can find me at Kitsy in a box on Twitter and Tumblr. I designed the Kit Sunday. They are little dessert themed foxes with dessert tails. They're cute. They're fun. I like making them. Pay me to make one for you. Um, <laughs> do it. Do it. They're not that expensive either. No, because I can crank them out quick. So if uh, you pay me, usually if you buy a Kitson Day, you'll get it the next day or the day after. I usually crank them out in a day. Kit has nothing better to do. <laughs> I love you. Yes, you do. But like you oh, do these all the time because you I'm, like doing them. I'm a janitor. So like I work four hours a day and the rest of the day I can do like commissions and artwork. So like if you want to commission me for artwork, your commission will get done on time. <laughs> I like doing the commissions. So yes. Yeah. I also do regular artwork commissions. So I'll draw your characters. I'll draw Redwall fan characters, D&D characters. Uh, I can pretty much do draw it, almost anything as long as I'm given a it. reference. Uh, and this has been Izzy. You can find me on Twitter at the Sean Deer. You can find me on Tumblr at Lots of Deer. Uh, you can run the podcast collective that we are both part of at Hearthside Enclave on Twitter and Tumblr. And you can find the other podcast that I'm part of, uh, Hope's Hearth, a solar Hope Punk actual play podcast at uh, Hope's Hearth Pod on Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, we just finished season two. Season three will be probably starting in October. Uh, I also do art commissions. Yes! Yeah! Izzy does very good soft art. Wee. You can find us both at Abbey Archives on Twitter and Tumblr. And feel free to send questions in. We are going to take our time going through Salamandistron. We have decided to break the books up into smaller chunks because even just doing seven chapters today, we've been recording for two hours. So feel free to read along with us and send us questions on Discord, Twitter, or Tumblr. Or even Reddit, because we're on Reddit, too. We got another follower on Reddit. Mm -hmm. and I did not actually pay attention to the name because I was at work at the time, but we got <laughs> another follower on Reddit. So, hi, person. Hi there. My phone's across the room. Otherwise, I'd check. So, may your hearth be warm and your heart be merry. From us to you at Redwall Abbey. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Clap at the 35. Sure. listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr 
at Abbey Archives, and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post-Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout-inspired audio drama.